Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. In a series of four, Ocularius and Outrageous Scenes from Scripture. Um, the reality, as we've gotten into these, is that uh, there's very very little to laugh about in these stories. Uh, these stories are stories of great um, import, great tragedy, uh, and yet uh, in, in our faith and in our willingness to see ourselves in the light of God's um, His humor, uh, we uh, allow ourselves to have laughter, because if we didn't laugh, we'd cry. So, I want to start with a prayer from um, the 13th day morning from Diary of Private Prayer. This is my old, um, my old one that I've had since 20 years ago. And the reason I'm reading it, because it has to do with creation, so it becomes very, very, very obvious. O hidden source of life, let me now meditate upon the great and gracious plan by which thou hast brought it to pass that a mortal man like me should look up to thee and call thee father. In the beginning thou, the uncreated, maker of all things of nothing, space and time and material substance, all things that creep and fly, the beasts of the forest, the fowls of the air, the fish of the sea, and at last man, in thine own image, to have fellowship with thyself, then when in the corruption and disobedience of his heart that image had been defaced, a gracious design for its restoration through the gift of thine only begotten Son, new life in him, and a new access to thy holy presence. O hidden love of God, whose will it is that all created spirits should live everlastingly in pure and perfect fellowship with thyself, grant that in my life today I may do nothing to defeat this thy most gracious purpose. Let me keep in mind how thy whole creation groans and travails, waiting for the perfect appearing of the sons of God. And let me welcome every influence of thy spirit upon my own, that may the more speedily make for that end. When thou dost knock in my heart's door, let me not keep thee standing without, but welcome thee with joy and thanksgiving. Let me harbor nothing in my heart that might embarrass thy presence. Let me keep no corner of my heart closed to thine influence. Do what thou wilt with me. O God, make of me what thou wilt. Change me as thy wilt, and use me as thy wilt, both now and in the larger life beyond, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. And then because we're going to be dealing with first article stuff, this is from Luther's Catechism. First article, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. What does this mean? I believe that God has made me and all creatures, that he has given me my body and soul, eyes, ears, and all my members, my reason and all my senses, and still takes care of them. He also gives me clothing and shoes, food and drink, house and home, wife and children, land, animals, and all I have. He richly and daily provides me with all that I need to support this body and life. He defends me against all danger and guards and protects me from all evil. All this he does only out of fatherly divine goodness and mercy without any merit or worthiness in me. 
For all this it is my duty to thank and to praise, to serve and obey him. This is most certainly true. And then finally, uh, from C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. On the Incarnation. Did you ever think when you were a child what fun it would be if your toys would come to life? Well, suppose you could really have brought them to life. Imagine turning a tin soldier into a real little man. It would involve turning the tin into flesh. All he sees is that the tin is being spoiled. He thinks you are killing him. He will do everything he can to prevent you. He will not be made into a man if he can help it. What would you have done about that tin soldier? I do not know. But what God did about us was this. The second person in God, the Son, who became human himself, was born into the world as an actual man, a real man of a particular language, weighing so many pounds. The eternal being, who knows everything and who created the whole universe, became not only a man, but before that a baby, and before that a fetus inside a woman's body. If you want to get the hang of it, think how you would like it to become a slug or a crab. So, the uh, extraordinary aspect of the Incarnation trying to make it relative to who we are, thinking about what it would be for us uh, to become a slug or a crab. Um, Pastor Freilich is not with us. Uh, you see this W, uh, the Badgers. Uh, yesterday he was in Wisconsin at a Badgers football game. And he's also... Do you think uh, Lynn? Yes. Oh, they won big, I think. Yeah. 35 to nothing. Okay. Who did they play? Oh, that's exciting. Who did they play? I forget. Little sisters of... <laughs> <laughs> and then tomorrow night, he's attending um, a Packers game. So this is his... And it was planned months ahead. And um, we knew ahead of time that he would that he wouldn't be with us. Um, oops. So there are a lot of theories about the dinosaurs. And this is one very irreverent, outrageous cartoon presentation of what happened to the dinosaurs. That um, there was this, uh, yeah, boom. I promised that every week I would have a picture of a laughing Jesus. There are many, many depictions of laughing Jesus out there. Um, as you look at this, what do you think Jesus is laughing about? I'm thinking you're going to heaven. He's laughing. You're <laughs> leaving all this behind. It's, I'm out of here. <laughs> Great. Anybody else? He might be laughing at the children. Oh, yeah. Great. Uh, let them all come to me. I have a feeling that they brought him great joy. Yeah. Thank you. Great. Anybody else? What do you see in, in this picture? What is he laughing at? Anyway, stand up. Everybody stand up. We're going to do uh, one of the great things about um, being the pastor of, of, a, of a congregation and a, a child development center is uh, doing chapel for 
almost 30 years uh, with preschools. And, and uh, so if we can uh, put out our hands like this, and then uh, waves in the sea, here we go. In the beginning God made the seas, and the forest filled with trees. God built the mountains up so high, and above it all he placed the skies. His fingerprints are everywhere, just to show how much he cares. And through it all, God had lots of fun. He made a hippo that weighed a ton. Hip, 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 hippopotamus. Hip, hip, hooray, God made all of us. Hip, 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 hippopotamus. Hip, hip, hooray, God made all of us. Sit down, you're great. Thank you, thank you. So, uh, and also, uh, maybe you remember the butterfly song? If I were a butterfly, I'd thank you, Lord, for giving me wings. And if I were a bird in a tree, I'd thank you, Lord, that I could sing. And if I were a fish in the sea, I'd wiggle my tail and I'd jiggle with glee. But I just thank you, Father, for making me me. For he gave me a heart and he gave me a smile. He gave me Jesus and he made me his child. But I just thank you, Father, for making me me. So there's so many children's songs that have to do with God's creation. Uh, it's, it's just it's just to do that on Tuesday morning. You know? <laughs> <laughs> go to make it uh, try. Oh. <laughs> uh, Okay. Um, in, in our house that Judy and I share, this is a perennial issue that I, after 51 years, still don't always pick up my clothes, and it looks like it was an issue for Adam and Eve also. Um, so, if we can quickly review these sheets, um, uh, we showed these last week but I wanted you to have them in your hand because they are such a powerful depiction of the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Um, at the very top, you see a judge's gavel, and you see a circle with arrows going up. Harry Wentz crossways through the Bible curriculum um, depicted God as a circle with arrows, arrows always going out. That the essence of God, that he's, uh, he's a unity, never ending, but also that his intention is to embrace all of God's people. That's why the arrows grow out. Um, to illustrate sin, Harry Went used Luther's favorite Latin phrase for the human condition. Sin was, Latin phrase, curvatus in say, which simply means curved into oneself. And we see uh, up in the upper right-hand corner of the bottom illustration, we see sin entering the world and fracturing the world. As sin comes in, uh, and that's, that's the initial, uh, and then uh, four stories in the first 11 chapters of Genesis that illustrate the devastating effect of sin between the man and the woman um, and between God 
that it broke the relationship between the man and the woman and God and also broke the relationship between them. Um, the second story is Cain and Abel, two brothers, uh, and there is a dagger with a drop of blood that Cain murdered his brother. Um, and then the fourth one was last week, Noah, um, where the the sons of God consorted with the women of earth, cosmic confusion. It corrupted the creation to the point that God uh, had great uh, remorse, wishing that he had never created the world. Uh, in anger and his judgment, he declared that he would um, annihilate the entire world, all living creatures, but then uh, chose Noah to be a savior, and then after that becomes the Tower of Babel, where again, uh, the fracture between human beings, uh, because they assert God's role in the world, saying, we're going to make a name for ourselves. Um, so, and if you flip, flip the page now to this side, you see these four, you see these four stories. Number one is Adam and Eve. The sin is where they ate of the forbidden fruit, um, the judgment was death, and then God's grace is that he provided covering for them, forgave them, and allowed them to live east of Eden. The second story is the story of Cain and Abel, fratricide, uh, the judgment was expulsion, and that Cain would be a wanderer on the earth. He said, this is more than I can bear, and then God put the mark of Cain on him that protected him from vengeance, which would have been his logical outcome in the ancient world. And then finally, uh, the sin of Babel, which was we're going to build this great skyscraper and make a name for ourselves. Uh, the judgment was the confusion of languages and God's grace is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, where God chooses Abraham and says, out of you, I'm going to bless all nations of the world and make you a blessing. So that's that's the context of of the um, of this story of Adam and Eve. Uh, if we can turn in our Bibles to Genesis chapter one, the um, I found this illustration. It was just kind of really really neat. Uh, the first day is uh, days of separation. Um, and then also third day um, vegetation and then days four, five, and six is population uh, he uh, populated the heavens created birds in the air fish in the sea created land and creatures and at last he made man um, and, and you see um, there was evening and morning 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 there was evening Evening and morning, God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. So, how do we read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1? And I will suggest that it's important to us that we read it two ways. The first way is that we read it theologically. And when I say theologically, very simply, um, if we study something biological, what are we studying? 
Yeah, same biology. If we're studying geology, the, the earth, um, ecologically, again, um, simply words or thinking about whatever the prefix is. Theo is the prefix means God. So this is thinking or language about God. And it's very important that when you read this, that we don't read it scientifically. Because if we attempt to read it scientifically, we're going to get caught up. But this was written in the context of the ancient Near East fertility cults. Um, James Mishner's The Source is an extraordinary book that talks about the vitality, the attractiveness, the energy of the ancient near fertility cults. It wasn't until I read that that I fully realized what a temptation these fertility cults were to the children of Israel. Because the children of Israel had a tabernacle, um, they had animal sacrifices, but they had nothing like what was going on in the temples where there were male and female prostitutes, where the whole idea was that um, sexual activity in the temples stimulated, aroused the gods in the heavens to have sexual activity. And that was important because the great things that happened on earth, uh, rain, fecundity, uh, fertility, all of that had to do with the gods consorting in the heavens. And so... Um, I list only three, but as we go through Genesis chapter, there are 14 specific things where we can identify that this is a statement of what the theology, what the God of the Old Testament, what the people of the Old Testament believe, over against what they rejected in the religions of the ancient near fertility cults. And I'm only, only three here. We believe there's only one God. We reject that there are many gods. We believe God is asexual. We reject that there are male and female deities. We believe the sun, moon, and stars are lamps God set. We reject the heavenly lamps are deities that people must worship. And, and it goes on. We, we believe that God created by his word. Um, and in the ancient Near Eastern fertility cult, they believe that God, uh, that the gods created using existing uh, specific stuff. So that's one way to read it theologically. But the other way is, I think, as is important, and that we read it liturgically because there is a cadence to the way the days are written here. Uh, in, your, in your Bible, uh, if you can take a look at um, chapter 1, and if you can read the first three words for me, if I can find it. Read the first three words of verse 3. And God said. Verse 6. And God said. Verse 9. And God said. Verse 11. And God said. Verse 14. And God said. Verse 20. And God said. And verse 24. And God said. And verse 26. And God said. Yes. I mean, there is, there is, a, and, and then, um, again, let there be. It was so particular to, for each of the days a name is given, and then God saw that it was good, or on the very last day that it was very good. So uh, this cadence um, is 
the best way I have it is that it was used in worship. In our worship, every week we confess what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. Absolutely. Um, and we believe that this was a way that was used in worship and uh, for memorization purposes, a mnemonic, a, a mnemonic device that helped people remember the, the, the extraordinary things that God was doing in order to, to create um, God's uh, the, the creation that we have. Now, in the Crossways material, the whole premise was that in Genesis chapter 1, chapter 1, God created a great creation. But there was a problem. And the problem is, where did sin come from? And what did God do about it? And that's why these four stories of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Noah, and the Tower of Abel, that's why those four stories become so important. Because each of them says where evil comes from and what God did about it. And from this, uh, and from this um, God did just not exercise his judgment, did he? In each instance, God also extended his grace. So the first 11 chapters is a powerful statement against people who would say, oh, the Old Testament is all about law and judgment. And the New Testament is where we get God's grace. Wrong, because we see God's grace from the very beginning, that God from the very beginning was concerned that, that men and women, that the human family not be left without resources, without the amazing grace of God that allowed them to um, have families and create nations with all the problems that came with that. Any questions so far? I think, too, um, Pastor, that that whole Abraham, where it comes down to Abraham's grace, that's what the whole rest of the Bible is about, how the children of Abraham that's right. are supposed to be a blessing that's right. to the nations of the world. Yeah. It's, and that's what the whole, it sets the stage for the, the whole rest of the Bible. Father Abraham had many sons. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, many sons said, Father Abraham, I am one of them. And so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. And then repeat. It gets faster and faster and faster. Father Abraham, can make some? Right hand, left hand. Oh, that's right. The whole, the whole cow. That's right. That, yeah, yeah. And then, I used to hate that song. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But I mean, that's the. I mean, that's really the key to the whole scriptures. But, but even more so that um, they that they failed in their in the assignment God gave them the, it, from Abraham down until it became Jesus. it had to be Jesus yeah. that's, that's right and, um, and that God um, as, if, if we look at scripture really that God used very imperfect people I mean yeah we have a sermon this morning talking about uh, what kind of people we have here uh, illustrated by the people in the Bible so um, let's see Okay, so I think we're now on the second page. Uh, here, 
creation story number one and creation story number two. Uh, this created a lot of conversation in the first class. Um, and of course, there are some people um, who feel that uh, there is no uh, difference in the two stories. One is just kind of an elaboration of the second. But uh, regardless of that, as we read the scripture itself, um, we find, I think, two very different approaches. First, creation story number one is to be understood theologically and liturgically, and then the second one is to be understood very personally, um, as it affects, as Luther, in his explanation of the first one, I believe that God has made all things that he has created me and all that exists. So, um, God creates humans before he creates everything else. He created man first, and after that he created animals, then he created woman. God had to work in order to create, form human beings from dust, breathe life into them, get rid from man to create woman. Uh, and that's after he had created all the animals, and then God banished the first couple from the Garden of Eden in his anger at their disobedience. So the outcome is very, very different as, as we come to the end of chapter 3 over against where we are at chapter 2, verse 4. So how to read Genesis 2, 4 to 3, 24. So it's a creation project, and it's really hard to read this second part without being aware of, of well, the plants in Genesis chapter 1 kind of a throw-in, not a throwaway, but a throw-in. Here, the garden becomes very important part of the context of the story. So what was God thinking when he, when he was doing all this? Um, and I love to tell the story about Luther and Luther's caution about people who pretend to speculate about what God is doing. So, uh, when somebody came to Luther and said, what was God doing before he created the world? And and Luther said he was out in the woods selecting a switch in order to beat people like you who ask questions like that. <laughs> <laughs> Must have been like my calculus teacher. <laughs> <laughs> and, and part of that is, is Luther's emphasis that we should only go so far with our reason. Um, and that's why in the explanation of the third article is that I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord and Because he felt that if we used our reason to think behind the, the barrier that God has placed between human beings and himself, that we uh, as creatures are not the God who's in charge of all things. Um, he used another Latin phrase, it was Deus absconditus. Uh, and for Luther, this was very, very important, that there's a part of God that he chooses not to reveal about himself. And he felt that if people attempted to go behind that, to ask questions, that they would put their faith in God at risk. And we know that that is often the case, that um, when people start using their reason, that the relationship between them and God becomes second to their intellectual capacity to think things through. And I think that's, that, it's, it's a very, very sad because our faith is primarily not an intellectual thing, but primarily it's a relational thing between a God who loves us, a God who uh, is with us, a God who 
it, it wraps us up in his promise. I see a parallel between this first very beginning part of the Bible and the very ending part. Um, so maybe we don't exactly understand all of creation, and we certainly don't understand what heaven's going to be like. It's like God is bookended. Um, <laughs> Good. You know, Excellent. the beginning and the end is more than we can right. figure out in our finite minds. Yeah. And there's other instances, of course, of that too. But it's just sort of the beginning, just from when you start and when you end, you're not going to get it all. That's right. Good for you. Good. Why the two trees in the middle of the garden? Um, these two trees... They play a significant role in the story um, because uh, there's a provision that God places with the tree. Uh, if we can uh, turn to um, verse uh, chapter 2, verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Die. So, uh, what, what is the meaning of that tree? That tree becomes a central focus in chapter 3, when the, um, the accuser, the serpent, the most cunning, crafty, beautiful of all the creations challenges the woman to think about why um, why she should not be um, part why she should not have it. Um, The oldest computer can be traced back to Adam and Eve. Surprise, surprise! It was an apple. But with extremely limited memory, just one bite, then everything crashed. <laughs> so we can, uh, Brad, Brad okay. uh, is, yeah, he, uh, one bite, one bite, right. terrible. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this, this class is really seriously lacking a lot of humor, so I thought I'd permit it. Well, uh, baseball is first mentioned in the Bible, too. That's right, which is? In the beginning. In the beginning, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pastor, when we talked about this class, that was going to be Pastor Chip's line. So, yeah. <laughs> so in chapter 2, verse eight, 18, when the, when the, then the Lord God said, It is not God, it is not good that the man should be alone, I will make a helper fit for him. And then out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Search begins. Importance of naming. For Adamus. <laughs> I couldn't find a picture of a donkey. We're... Where Adam named the donkey Democrat. We should be pretty close to the edge here. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And then in terms of the... uh, the, the, For me, uh, if if we get into the 
absurd. <laughs> you start thinking about God forming uh, the animals. Um, total species assessed 71,000. This, this is, of course, debatable. You know, how many are actually threatened. But, and, then, and then when we go to um, mammals, uh, there are 5,488 mammals and 3,600 different kinds of snakes. So, now, if we think about God, huh? And Adam. A and lot of naming. What? A lot, a lot of, naming of naming and a lot of, you know, you know forming this stuff together. Uh, so, Chris Bookless, who's um, the son of John. John, he was here, and I said, Chris, how long do you think it took God to... to to form a, um, a hippopotamus. And he looked at me, rolled his eyes, and said, I don't know. <laughs> so that, that, that's a good answer. Because, of course, you know, applying ourselves to creation is it, it, it's ridiculous. But if, if we think about it, um, that, that whole process of creation, the care that God took, and, and we know that uh, from the lowest life forms to the highest life forms, the extraordinary intricacies of life itself. You know, that is something that still scientists have not been able to duplicate. This is something that God, uh, in his creative genius, has, has put together uh, in order for us to, um, as human beings, to have self-consciousness about who we are and an ability to think about the world and also to, manipul to manipulate the world and its resources in order uh, that we increasingly... Um, is this the modern-day Tower of Babel? I mean, when, when, when we think about this particular thing and the mysteries of, uh, is it electrical engineering and computer science that puts together this? I mean, it, it is, it is um, an exponential, unbelievable reality of what human beings have been able to do as we uh, continue to uh, replicate God's creative process in so many different ways, in the arts, in music. And then, of course, comes um, the final solution to the process. We, we can imagine. Um, so, if, if, if Adam was witnessing this creative process, all these animals, and remember what was, what was the objective? The objective was finding a helpmeet. You know, so, and, and we, can, um, we can imagine Adam, you know, you know, looking at, and God coming in. Does this work? Does it all? Well, I guess it could be a companion. I guess it could work. Porcupine? No. Um, hippopotamus? You know, we, I know of no household that has a hippopotamus for... I mean, just a lot of things just didn't work. And then finally, having no found, then God puts... Uh, then God puts uh, Adam to sleep, and then from his... And this is from... Um, Greek Orthodox, the Orthodox Church tradition, um, and um, the um, if we I, can you see the, the facial expression of Adam? 
He's, a, he's awake. Yeah. yeah, well, he's waking up. Oh, no. Oh, no. This, but I, I think, uh, rather than being an old no situation, where it's like, oh, gosh, what's... Uh, that, I think it was a time of celebration. At what point did Adam and Eve celebrate, laugh, and get crazy? Now, um, one of the great, one of the great realizations, right? Because they did have children, so one of the great realizations was that their unique physiology was designed to be what God says there, that, that they would become one flesh, um, and and um, and so. Um, so, and, so we can think about that and say, wow, uh, this at last, is bone of my bone, this, this at, least, at last works. And then we have the, um, um, how long did the laughter last? And how long does the laughter last? See, and next week we have the perfect example of taking a look at how long the laughter lasts as we look at John chapter 2, the most expensive wedding reception that the world has ever seen, $6 million, I think, is about what it would be the wine that, that Jesus produced, probably cost about $6 million. So very, very expensive. How long? Uh, and that was because the wine ran out, right? And so how long did the laughter last? Um, we know it did not last very long, because in the garden... There is the tempter, the serpent, who, and as we can now look at Genesis chapter 3, we're going to take a look at what happens there. Oh, now, this is Song of Solomon chapter 4. If, if you want to see a celebration of human uh, companionship, the male and female delight in each other, it's Song of Solomon chapter 4 is where you get into the really, really good stuff. So, <clears throat> So, what did Adam and Eve look like? You know, there's a lot of depictions of Adam and Eve. Uh, and so we have this couple, and then we also have this couple, which is African, or African-American. Uh, again, the cr creatures in the background, the snake in the tree. What, you know, we don't know what they look like. We really don't, so. But we do know that, um, yeah, so. And then we can only imagine that uh, <coughs> this is called passive aggressiveness at the extreme. Because down here is poison ivy. And if you've ever had poison ivy, you can only imagine where this was going. <laughs> so, the fall of Genesis chapter 3, 1 to 7. The characters. So the characters are um, very simple. We have the serpent, we have Adam and Eve and God, and all of them play an extraordinary role. So, um, here it is. Now the serpent was more crafty, this is chapter 3, than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say. Um, and so the, the characters, the scene, the garden, including the two trees, 
And then comes um, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Uh, and let me say a word about that. Um, how many of you have shopped for a new car in the last three years? Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, did you shop? Uh, did you go to a dealer or did you do it online? Both. Okay, both. Okay. So if you go to a dealer, the showroom is designed specifically for one thing and one thing only, and that is to excite your um, to ex through visual to excite your desire for this vehicle. All of us probably grew up with vehicles. It's, it's not something that came into our lives. We, we probably were born in families that had cars. Uh, my first car was a Willis. Um, it was crazy. Uh, yeah. Made in 19, pre-World War II. My dad oh, was wow. Really, yeah. You it must was, be old. It was really, really <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so, so the whole idea is that uh, the showroom with its lighting and with its smells um, is designed that when you see this car, you imagine yourself to see that car and that the number one thing that salesmen's sales pitches are designed to do um, is to get people to think about themselves as the owner of that car. In Fairbanks, I had a young man uh, who was the manager of the, um, what dealership was that? I forget. Oh, it was a Chevrolet dealership, big, big dealership in, in Fairbanks. And he had come up through the ranks, uh, selling cars first and then general, and then used car manager, then new car manager, and then in finance, and finally he was manager, you know. And he, he was absolutely convinced that his sales protocol would work as an evangelism tool for the church. And, and somewhere I have a video of him doing a one-hour presentation on using car sales techniques in order to convince in order to convert people to Christianity. It was, it was, it was good. It was good. Uh, we used to use it once, and it didn't go over very well. I was enthralled with it. Nobody else was. Uh, so, and he, of all things, this guy, um, he felt that he was called into the ministry. We sent him and his family to our Concordia, in Portland, and he and his wife were there two years, um, and um, came back to Fairbanks, because his wife's family lived there, they didn't show up in church for two Sundays, and, and it was, so I called him, and he said, Pastor, we need to come to talk to you. He and his wife came and sat down and said, um, we want you to know that we're joining the Russian Orthodox Church here in Fairbanks. I couldn't believe it. They had been, they had been instruction from the priest in the Russian Orthodox Church for a couple months, didn't tell me anything about it, and now he's a priest in the Russian Orthodox Church. Can you believe that? Anyway, so one of my great 
success stories. No, not, well, he's, that's he's okay. Sort of, yeah, that's, that's right. Not, that's, that's, that's right. That's okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. That's kind of a schism, huh? Yeah. Gosh, it was. What a talented young man, though. And he, he and his wife, um, they became very active in the community at Concordia in Portland. It was yeah. Okay. The tree of life, um, and, and it's my feeling that we live our lives between the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life, because we all have our own ideas of what is right and what is wrong, and so very often that can lead us to, to things that, that um, get ourselves in trouble, and certainly in our world we know that people who decide this is something good and not being able to think through the consequences of that um, Ivan Illich um, wrote a book, Medical Nemesis, uh, 40 years ago. And that book is incredible in the in prophetic way that he uh, talked about the side effects and the unwanted um, consequences of medical technology as it was even then developing. And of course, it's even, even more so today. So... And of course, with nuclear, the great thing is nuclear energy, which was such a boon and such a great discovery. How was it used in, in its first practical applications as an instrument of war? You just want to cry. Uh, so the whole thing of good and evil, very, very. The prohibition and the temptation, um, and that's where, um, in the story, when it says, and did God say? You know, that's always, did mom really? Is that what she meant? Uh, and of course, Eve had put a protective barrier about it, just like the Pharisees with their 613 laws. They felt that if you believe these 613 laws that they put around the Ten Commandments, you'd never get to the actual sin of the commandment. And, and we need to pay attention to what Eve answered the same. He said, he said um, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She added the prohibition of touch. You know, thinking that that would somehow keep her, it didn't. Because once her eye got involved, which is... Um, Oh, and of course then um, they hid um, very specifically and, and this is kind of funny you know, did they did they simply not understand who God was that they felt that they could hide from me yes I was just going to say this is the first time I noticed this about the serpent um, he, did God really say I know that did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Well, God didn't say that. Um, and so he twisted God's rules and commands. Um, I think that happens to us, too. Which are you start wondering. You've got to go back. What did God say? And, and you've got it mixed up, too. So you've got to really know. And then comes the confrontation. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid. 
And he said, who told me that you were naked? The tree that I commanded you not to eat of, have you eaten? And then, of course, um, a most important dialogue. You will be like God, knowing good and evil. Of course, we all know what is good and what is bad, just like science and ethics and medicine. The eye is the organ of temptation. If you saw that it was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, the big three. Absolutely. Uh, and when that got going, um, the ear, uh, what she had heard, soon becomes a faint, if um, inaudible echo. Uh, well, yeah, God did say, but she didn't hear anything. And then the confrontation, passing the buck. Um, the man is confronted, passes the buck to Eve, he passes it to the, and she passes it to the serpent. And then the curses. And these curses, the judgment, is, is profound in that each of them is focused on the essence of each. So, uh, verse 14, chapter 3, the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And that is a passage that we hear in every Christmas program as being the first prophecy of Jesus, of, of the Incarnation. And they always pull that out. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So uh, the woman, in, um, in giving birth, uh, that where the curse is given, and then man in his work. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread, till you return to the ground, for out of you it were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. So that young man that became a Russian Orthodox, uh, he is the one that told me that uh, the reason that they use the word work is because they've used up all other four-letter words. So uh, that work is, you know, and that was, that was another thing they did. Banishment. So, um, as this comes, uh, these are two pretty buff <coughs> individuals, huh? Um, and um, what is important here is the skins, because in verse um, verse twenty one, and God and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Um, and this is the grace. Instead of leaves that have short half-life at least, uh, God, through the shedding of blood, uh, provided them clothing from the skins of animals, which we see illustrated here. And that is a prefiguring of 
Christ's shedding his blood in order to provide us covering. The Hebrew word for covering is the same root um, for the word Hebrew word for forgiveness. So here is a subtle reference that when God covered them, he forgave them and gave them the opportunity for that. Um, questions that we might have as we take a look at this. Yes? Okay, we say we believe that God is asexual. We reject their male and female deities. But all the Old Testament stuff and pictures is always God's a male, God's got a beard, the woman is the sinner, she's first. So why didn't they say, why didn't the guy eat the apple and give it to his beloved who accepted it from him? That's where I have issues. Yeah. And, and there's been a lot of speculation about that in the story in terms of how that is written. And also, um, in order to, because this was, this passage was also used, and still is, in terms of orders of creation, that the man is the head of the house and is to have domination and submission. But when you look at the, the word for help me, uh, it has very clear understanding that the Hebrew word means equal partner. There is no uh, sub- domination or subject- subjugation um, involved in that word. So in the original, and as the um, Jewish people understood it, that woman was created to be a, an equal part. Although um, in the, um, the Jewish tradition, it's very patriarchal in terms of that the man... Well, I know him. My husband was raised Catholic. <clears throat> he has a very patriarchal yeah. attitude, and yet he and I are very equal in the marriage. Um, but I get this sense from him, and he knows this is true, of an entitlement because he's a male. And That's I resent raised. it. I yeah. resent it. Yeah. And he knows it, <clears throat> and we've talked about it, but... I believe in that equal partnership. And I was a firm believer of the women's movement of the 70s and what it taught us and what we needed to know and that we are as good as a man. Absolutely. And and I I believe in roles, too, Mm -hmm. because we have those equal roles Mm -hmm. in our marriage. And I like it. And we have respect for each other. And it wouldn't work without a sense of humor. That's, that's exactly right. Yeah, yes. Well, I think the, the argument of order of creation doesn't stand much, um, doesn't hold much water. In the first creation story, he created animals first. And they, uh, they don't have uh, dominance over us. So that that would to me would just eliminate that yeah. issue. Interesting. Sure. Of so who wrote this? <clears throat> that is a fascinating question, and it's um, one of those issues that has um, been divisive within the church. The scripture says that Moses wrote this. Um, and yet textual criticism would say absolutely not that uh, these books are the compilation of many different sources 
names for God uh, in the first. Uh, the fact that there's different names for God indicates that there are different sources as these stories were repeated uh, from various um, from tribal family and then finally put together. And then, after being repeated uh, verbally, finally was written down. Um, and so, <clears throat> for folks who feel that scripture is to be taken literally, the answer is that Moses wrote these. Um, although that provides many, many problems, but um, but for those who are, insist on that, that's that's what they. And it's also then why <clears throat> the first Genesis chapter one is taken as being set six seven twenty-four hour days is and the young creation using Bishop Usher's chronology that the world was created uh, 6006 BC. That's, that's the day the world was created. And there are people who take that literally and uh, stake their faith on it. Um, so there's a lot, of, um, a lot of things that like that I think provide uh, a unfortunate distraction from what Scripture is all about. Scripture is about uh, telling the story the stories. Sin, what did God do about it? God's judgment and his grace. And that is a theme that runs throughout scripture and becomes absolutely clear not only in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, but so clear in St. Paul's writings as he talks about the redemption, about reconciliation, about that we are saved by faith. And that's, that's the focus of what scripture is all about. And to get hung up on this, I think it's a great distraction from the beauty of this, you know, like Genesis chapter 1 is a gorgeous piece of, of how God has chosen um, both theologically and liturgically to present this story. Other questions? I better uh, go. Yeah, I gotta go. Uh, let's close with prayer. Dear God, we want to thank you for, uh, for your word and the delight and the challenges and the frustration that it provides us and we pray that you keep us absolutely clear what, what Scripture is all about, especially in these, uh, the, the story of the delightful story, the funny story, the tragic story of the first man and the woman as they navigate a world that they were uh, called to be obedient. We are also called to be obedient in our world. We pray that through God's grace, through our community, through the means of grace, that you would enable to be faithful to you, and that in spite of our imperfections, that we can live lives of joy and of celebration. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.